0: Well, this morning we're continuing on a series that we've had for going on for for many weeks on prayer this community this year has uh, been uh, going through the Psalms, which are the prayers of the Old Testament, the great prayers of David and many others in the Old Testament, upon which Jesus built his prayer tradition. If you didn't know that about Jesus, he was a great uh, teacher on prayer. He was a prayer master, and uh, he has so many good things to say about prayer. But he built all of his wisdom right on top of his ancestor, King David's praying. So we've been in a in, uh, David's praying for, uh, for many weeks. Um, here's kind of a basic outline. If, if you've missed any of the sermons and you're interested, you can go back. They're all online on the website. But here's a basic outline of, of where we've been. Uh, the first invitation was to turn all of your neediness into prayer. That which you uh, know you need. That which you go through the week and and. and and struggle to, to have and to pinpoint whether it's emotional or physical or personal or relational. It's turn all of those things into prayer, and that's sort of step one. Uh, but step two in it all is learning how to pray the Psalms. Um, getting into one of David's Psalms, or I, I encourage folks to pray five a day, read five Psalms a day. It's a good uh, good practice to to get into the life of prayer. And the third step is to learn how to prep yourself and connect with God. And that's a little more technical. You can listen to those sermons online if you'd like. But here we are in the fourth section, which is to master Jesus' prayer. Jesus' great prayer to his disciples when they wanted to know, well, how do we pray? How do we do it like you, you do it, Jesus? And he gave them a template, and they're building blocks. What I've been doing is um, kind of showing how David's prayers kind of get collected up into Jesus's template. He gives us some building blocks, and so many of David's prayers can be organized and categorized. So uh, last time, we talked about the first few prayers in Jesus' prayer, which is, Our Father in heaven, your name is holy. Those are uh, examples of prayers. And I've opened up kind of the praise tradition in the, in the Psalms, which gives us a Uh, a reminder of God's great acts and his character. And it asks us to bring our adoration of God uh, and tell him that. Tell him how much we adore him for the things that he's done. But then to do it in a public way and in a risky way. And that's when praise has its power to transform us is when we show our affection to God publicly. And I invited the community to think about if, if they can do one thing, one small thing, it's even to sing a little louder on Sunday mornings and to show a, maybe a little bit of a risky devotion to God in that way and how that uh, a community of people bellowing out their praises to God is such a powerful witness and a powerful thing. And so that's where we were last week. This time, we're on two prayers. Your kingdom come, your will be done with the little qualifier on earth as it is in heaven. These are, these are uh, two amazing kind of prayers. And um, in all of this, And all of these prayers, I'm not just asking you to learn about them in your head and to get to know them. I'm asking you to consider praying them. Imagine what does it feel like, really feel like, when you sit down, take a moment of your day to pray to God. What do these prayers feel like? And oftentimes I think, your kingdom come, your will be done, can kind of be a prayer, a couple prayers that we skip over really quickly. It's almost as if we sit down and we say, okay, your kingdom come, your will be done. Maybe I'll go to heaven someday someday. Um, and maybe it'll all be good. I don't know. Like, we can really slide over the, these prayers quick, but these prayers are so awesome and so deep. And when you line up David's praying into these, you realize just what kind of prayers these are. Um, and these are prayers of abandonment, where we take our dissonance, the things that aren't yet true and aren't yet resolved and we bring them up into the presence of God. So I'm going to use these couple words today. Just they're, they're different words. You may not have heard them before but dissonance is just a way to say things don't feel right. Things aren't as they should be. There's tension. There's a little bit of kind of ickiness. That's dissonance and we can live so often in so much dissonance. And abandonment is truly saying God I give over to you myself. I'm going to abandon my unresolved issues into your hands. And these prayers get quite deep and quite beautiful. And so, yeah, what, what does it feel like? What might it look like for you to learn to pray these kind of prayers? And the, the basic contour of this, your kingdom come, your will be done, is a pressing forward. Not to hoping for something to, in, the, in the distant future, but pressing forward and, and putting our lives into God's hands, into God's future. And on earth as it is in heaven, is a little qualifier, which is, which is to say, this isn't for some distant future. These are prayers for now and the, the near future. Okay, so we set these up here. Um, there's so much to this, and I'm excited to get into this today. Let's, uh, let's dive in. So um, I want to give you a little example first of what a your kingdom come, your will be done kind of prayer looks like when David prays it Save me, O God for the waters have come up to my neck apropos hey save me o oh god for the waters have come up to my neck i'm sinking here worn out from calling for help my throat is parched but i pray to you lord in your great love answer me out of the goodness of your love you see how emotional and how how rich these words are i'm i'm sinking i don't know has anyone ever felt in life like they're just drowning <laughs> this, this is a prayer for the, these moments, the things that aren't yet resolved, the things that need resolution. And the, the, David and, and the psalmists know what it feels like to pray resolution into their situation. So, I'll say this later, but I want to say it now too. Prayers of abandonment are not polite. They're never polite. They're always full of so much colorful language. So here we go. Um, Abandonment prayers to a king. A little overview as we jump in. They ask us to bring our unresolved situations to a sovereign who we feel is deeply reliable. Um, In abandonment prayers, we deeply think, okay, God, your ways and your thoughts are bigger than mine. We collect up our anxiety. Anxiety is is a key word. Anyone struggle with anxiety? It's one of my big things. Um, And we courageously give words to our anxieties and then release. And that's the movement, the release of our anxieties. If you need to figure out how to release your anxieties so you can live in a bit of peace, these are the prayers for you. And we pray, therefore, over all that is broken in our world. The best way into this, okay, is through a little story. Uh, Has anyone ever read the story of David and Absalom? In the Old Testament, David's the king that we're, we're studying. This is the Kidron Valley in Jerusalem. It's, uh, there's olive trees in the bottom. It goes up to the steep slope, and that's the Temple Mount um, where, where the temple was in Jesus' time. Uh, well, rewind from Jesus' time. Back uh, about 1,000 years, King David is living. He's gone through his wilderness wandering years. He's now king of Jerusalem. This is his place. Uh, The the temple wasn't quite built up yet, but his son Solomon was going to build it uh, a generation later. But he's ruling in Jerusalem, and he has a son. He has lots of different sons. Uh, But one of his sons is named uh, Absalom. And Absalom was a tall guy. He was a handsome guy, and he was a guy who had kind of a rough past. He did some things out of retribution that caused him to be banished from David's kingdom. David eventually, at some point, banished his son Absalom, and he lived for a number of years outside of Jerusalem. But slowly Absalom, his his gorgeous son, works his way back into Jerusalem, and he starts gaining favor with people. He starts uh, doling out money. He starts uh, taking on some of David's jobs. And slowly but surely, he mounts up enough support to take over the throne. So this is going to be one of the biggest rejections of David's life. Even though he has a rocky relationship with Absalom, he loves him deeply. So Absalom comes in uh, into, into town with hundreds and hundreds of men on chariots. And David hears word of it. And he, he realizes, oh, Absalom is going to betray me. So instead of mounting up an army, mounting up defenses, taking control of the situation, David says, if we don't run... If I don't go back into the wilderness like I spent many years in the wilderness, uh, we're all going to die. There's going to be so much bloodshed. So rather than killing my son, I'm going to relinquish my throne and run into the wilderness. And so the scriptures in Second Samuel say, the book of Second Samuel's where these stories are recorded, it says David leaves Jerusalem with hundreds of his faithful followers and crosses the Kidron Valley. And this is the Kidron Valley here. So you can imagine uh, David and hundreds of people coming down these slopes, uh, fleeing from Absalom, and in great great pain. And there are some people who are so loyal to him that they're going to follow him, and other people that are so so loyal to him that he's going to send back in to be spies into Absalom's court. But he he goes, and and the the scriptures say that. he, He goes and he comes up this other side, which is not pictured here, but which is called the Mount of Olives he comes up the Mount of Olives, and as he do, does so, some of David's foes are there throwing rocks at him. Just cursing him and throwing rocks at his people. And his, his, his followers are saying, should we defend ourselves? Should we, should we take control over this situation? And David says, let them throw rocks, for maybe God will look kindly upon me and show favor upon me as, as, uh, as I don't show retribution in the future. So they walk through the curses, they walk through the rocks, and they get up on top of the Mount of Olives, and it says that they were sad and sorrowful and bruised. Uh, There's no better picture in David's story of him abandoning himself to God in a moment of dissonance. Everything looks wrong. Everything is broken. Everything looks like it's coming against him. And instead of retaliating and building up his strength and his defenses, he's going to say, God, I hand this over to you. I abandon this situation into your hands. And within this, I think, comes some of our uh, best teaching on what it looks like to abandon ourselves to God. So here he goes in Psalm 141. I think maybe he was writing this psalm as he was maybe bruised on the Mount of Olives. Psalm 141. And that's what we're going to dig into this one today. I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me Hear me when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifices. This is a your kingdom come, your will be done kind of prayer. This is you are wise God, and I'm going to burn incense to you. This is an Iron Age, Old Testament way of saying I worship you. May my prayers be like a sacrifice to you. May they come up to you like a sacrifice. This is a way of saying, God, I, sh- I-, I-, I admit and I believe that you are stronger than me. You are you're bigger than me. Um, I'm going to let go of control here. We talked about praise last week. And the an interesting thing about the prayer of abandonment and Jesus is praying as we follow him along is praise does sort of require a measure of joy in order to be able to tell God who he is and worship him. It gives, it, there's a measure of joy that's needed in 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 praise, but as we move from praise into abandonment, your kingdom come, your will be done. As we move into that transition, the need for joy is is not there anymore. It's actually filled with a lot of pain and a lot of uh, unresolved stuff. So this is about places of deep pain and anguish. This is about things that are bigger than us, things that we can't move, things that we can't, um, can't change, and the journey that we go on from turning our anxieties into peacefulness. I mean, I think this is a deeply, a deeply human need. I mean, this is not just a religious thing. Every human being, I believe, is on a journey to find peace find some peace, to, to let go of the control that drives them deep into the ground. Um, I think you talk to many, many folks in their 70s and 80s, and they've sort of finally found a bit of peace. Many have, many haven't. But that time, the going through situations, watching them resolve, realizing that, that time passes and heals many things. Um, that's, it's a very human journey that we're on. Jesus and the life of prayer has a specific, a specific invitation into that journey. And a specific thing to say to humans. Do you want to get to 70 and 80 and be a person who's just so wrapped up in the things they couldn't control that it sort of withered you? Or do you want to be a person that ends up at that age at a deeper peace? I mean, this is what prayer of abandonment is about. I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. If you're, just as a side note, if you're a social activist, if you're out in society trying to change the big things that we really can't change on our own, uh, and every person who's a Jesus follower at some level should be a social activist, should be out there trying to change things that are too big for us, we desperately need these prayers of abandonment. Because otherwise we will fall under the weight of the evil and the hurt and the bigness of all the social problems. So if this is you, I'm not saying give up. Prayer of abandonment isn't a, isn't a kind of a fatalistic. I give up. It's much more than that. Um, and we need them if we're going to we're going to be people who work for God. Um, so we tell God, we tell him that he's bigger than us. I love these examples from some of other, other of David's psalms. Uh, Psalm sixty-one, two. It's another. Prayer of abandonment. From the ends of the earth, I call to you as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Isn't that a great prayer? It fits so much in there. Um, I'm growing faint. My heart is weary. There's the complaining. Uh, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I recognize your ways are bigger than my ways. Your mind is higher than mine. Can you imagine yourself praying this? Can you imagine in your prayer life sitting down and trying to find a form of this to speak to God? Here's some words to the just the, the profound deepness that I'm going through. Lead me, God, to something that's bigger than me. I need you. Psalm 38, 6, 6. Though the Lord is exalted. There it is. Your kingdom come. That's the your kingdom come kind of prayer. Though you're exalted, Lord. He looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. And what a deep, profound truth. Each one of us who feels small, too small for something should be able to relate with this feeling that, God, uh, is it possible that though you are lofty, you can see me from afar, someone who's lowly? So there we are. Again, the beginning of Psalm 141. Uh, Psalm 55, by the way, just one last thing before I move on here. Psalm 55 is a great prayer for those people who are concerned about the city. If, if you've ever wanted to pray for the city you're in, Psalm 55 is yours. I see violence and strife in the city. Confuse the wicked, confound their words. If there's violence and strife in the city, that means there's people out there and forces and powers out there who are um, wicked and causing violence and strife. Uh, it's a great prayer for th- your kingdom come, your will be done. God, whoever's out there causing this violence and strife, would you confound them and confuse them? I see violence and strife in the city. Okay, so you're getting the point here. Um, Psalm 141 goes on. Uh, Set so a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Do not let my heart be drawn into what is evil so that I take part in wicked deeds along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat of their delicacies. And here's an interesting prayer. Let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me; that is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. So this, this is ultimately a person who's face to face with the evils of the world, and you might we might say that they're a type of person who lives in the world who knows that it's unsafe, who knows that it's bigger than them, and who maybe sometimes has a propensity to join in with the evil of the world. Um, they're a loud mouth, perhaps. Uh, Perhaps they're prone to falling with the wrong crowd. Um, but David is someone here who knows how to take his anxious thoughts and control them and discipline them. They're moving from my will be done to your will be done. Um, it's a journey from anxiety to peace and, for, and uh, out of the divided heart. Now, I'll say, I'll say this here. Uh, the prayer of abandonment is, is really a prayer of asking God To unify your heart. Being anxious and worrisome in the presence of a powerful God, there's a bit of dividedness that happens in us. We're divided. We we see the bigness of our problem, and yet we see the bigness of God, and our heart gets divided, and we don't know how to unify it. And, And human beings, let me tell you, don't work well with divided hearts. We start shrinking and shriveling and growing smaller. Uh, Psalm 86, 7 is a perfect example. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Uh, The Psalms, if you read from beginning to end, are full of examples of people who've lost this battle. They're they're wanting an undivided heart. They want to focus and praise God, but they see the big anxieties in front of them. And rather than focusing on God, they end up having a unified heart, And they focus completely on the anxieties and the problems of their life and the problems of the world. And they go deeper into the ground and deeper into the ground. And they start turning into people who are trying to control the world so much uh, that their hearts get twisted and they become known in the Psalms as the evildoers, as the wicked, as the arrogant. Uh, These are my will be done kind of people. If we want to be people who pray, Jesus, your will be done. These are people who are resolutely in my will be done kind of posture. Um, Psalm 141 tells us wicked, they have wicked deeds and they do them along with those who are evildoers. Don't let me eat of their delicacies. Don't let me slip into that way of being, praise, praise, praise David. Here's some examples of the wicked people. I mean, it's all over the Psalms, but here's a few characteristics. They rip people apart. They repay evil for good. They give birth to disillusionment. They hunt down the weak. They bless the greedy. And they say a few things. Nothing's ever going to shake me. No one will harm me. God doesn't care what I'm doing. He doesn't see. you see how easy it is to slip into those things? If we're so invested in our anxieties and fixing problems and trying to take care of things that are too big for us, isn't it so easy to become this? Uh, instead Instead of letting stones hit you and walk up a mountainside, you're picking up stones and you're ripping people apart with them as you throw them back. Um, rather than, rather than uh, recognizing the good that's around you, you're so focused on the evil that anyone who does good to you, you just feel like you got to retaliate on, on anyone that you see. These are my will be done kind of people. And the scriptures say that they get lost in their own, own selfishness. And ultimately, they start convincing themselves, God doesn't see this. they got to convince themselves that God's blind because they got to keep hurting people, and they got to keep lashing out. And they convince themselves that he doesn't care. Maybe he doesn't even see me. This is losing the, 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 the battle of the divided heart. But what does it look like? What does it look like to struggle and to win that battle? And instead of having an undivided heart, turn our attention upon God and his bigness and his power and his ability to protect us. We learn to pray prayers of abandonment. This is how we get there. This is how we win this battle and we turn our hearts to God. We pray prayers of abandonment. And here's, across the Psalms, here's what they look like again. Psalm 56, here's how they begin. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. It seems nice. It seems polite, right? But then after the psalmist prays this polite thing, then they go on to say, after David uh, says these nice things. He says, record my misery, list my tears upon your scroll. Are they not in your record, God? It's not a polite thing to say to God, but David's about ready to do it. He's got to give words to the pain. Psalm 10, why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? These are great prayers. Have we prayed these? Do you know how to pray these kind of prayers? Do you try? They're, they're very powerful and very healing prayers. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And it just goes on and on. Psalm 41, 143, I mean. My spirit grows faint within me. My heart is dismayed. Psalm 109. This is is one of the more elaborate versions of this prayer of abandonment. I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I fade away like an evening shadow. I'm shaken off like a locust. My knees, they give way from fasting. My body is thin and gaunt. How many times have you used the word gaunt in your prayer life? And I am an object of scorn. Like this, this is the beginning of a prayer of abandonment at its best. I mean, sometimes I sit down and I think, I can't, I can't pray right now. There's no, I'm so worked up. I'm so angry. I'm so disoriented. How can I even begin to be polite to God? Well, I can't. <laughs> it's impossible. And so I pull out a prayer of abandonment and I try to be as poetic as David in describing the dissonance in my life. So, prayers of abandonment start out with poetic dissonance. But then inside of them, they, they, they follow with prayers of direction. Guide me along your paths, Lord. Teach me your ways. Okay, so I've just given a, a poetic description of my dissonance, but then I move into, God, you've got to help me. You've got to guide me you got to show me your ways. How do I get out of this? Psalm 141, the, the psalm that we're in. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. It's a great kind of prayer. Guard me, God. Guard me from myself. It's kind of that kind of prayer. But then it moves. It goes from poetic dissonance to prayers of guidance and to abandonment, which is linked with praise. The record my misery upon your scroll prayer moves into, you are the God I trust. I am not afraid. Why do you stand far off? In the same psalm moves to, you see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The Lord is king forever and ever. And this is probably the hardest part to teach. I'm going to give it my best. Um, This is not glib. It's not quick. It's not fast. It's not trite. Prayers of abandonment always take seriously the dissonance in our lives. It never, uh, never diminishes them. And they usually don't turn into basic praise, like, but you are God enthroned on high or something like that. But what they do is they do sl- slightly and subtly move into praise, telling God, I know that, or I, "I at least part of my mind deeply believes that you are a God who is powerful. You're, steadf- you're filled, filled with steadfast love. And if you do that, if you give words your dissonance, beautiful, poetic, deep words, complaining words to your dissonance, and then follow it up in the same prayer with, Help me, God, because you are righteous and just. Something happens. Something in our hearts begins to turn towards an undivided mind, towards the bigness of God. Now, I'll also say this this oftentimes isn't just in one prayer. Like, sit down and try to pray this prayer. It's sincerely, it's very difficult. Um, but it's a lifetime, a lifetime of journeying from anxiety as our primary focus to abandonment and peace as a primary focus. And it takes a long time, and it takes a lot of hardship and a lot of struggle, and it doesn't happen without struggle. Um, So if if you can't do this right away, recognize that it takes a long discipline to get there. This is a journey that I'm talking about. Uh, These prayers of abandonment are are journeys. Uh, But when you do, when you can start praying these kind of prayers... Uh, something begins to shift and to happen inside of you. You say, but I can't bring myself to make this journey to peace. I mean, I, I can just hear some people saying this, but I can't bring myself to do it. I can't really, I'm, you know, I try to get into it and I glide over it quickly. I can't bring myself into it. But here's a few pieces of advice. It's a long road, but it does require praise. It does require us to learn praise and how to praise. Again, thy will be done prayers are not polite. I think, and I'll say this as a sort of, journey to the end here of the sermon. Abandonment prayers um, have to begin and make a good start. And I think the harder part is actually to give God words of our pain. Because I, th- I think once we, once we take a moment and give words to our dissonance and words to our pain and we, and we hand them over to God, actually in your mind, trying to find a way to praise him actually comes a little more naturally. Sometimes we don't even begin these prayers because we're holding something from God. We have this pain and we love it so much and it makes sense of our world and we're familiar with it and and we don't want to give it up. We don't want to give it over and so what we do is we don't give it words. We don't give words to that which we don't want to give up because we know if we start giving them words, we've got to open our hands and give this pain over to God. And so start here. If anywhere, um, get into some of these psalms of abandonment. And see how well you can give your dissonance to God. Because I think that once you do that, once you open yourself to that part, then the rest sort of follows suit. Um, so make a good start and try to abandon yourself in your prayer to some aspect of God's character that you know about or understand. That's, this is the, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's this kind of prayer. The prayers of abandonment. Um, David ends his psalm here. And we'll close off with this and a story. But my eyes are fixed on you, Sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. Keep me safe from the traps set by evildoers, from the snares that they have laid for me. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by in safety. This is a great prayer of David, right? I mean, is what he was doing when he was walking up the Mount of Olives. Um, My eyes are fixed on you, O God. This is a way to say, if you are someone who struggles with anxiety, or you control your life too much, or you feel like you just drive yourself into the ground when there's bigger things than you that you can't move, but you just throw yourself at them, Uh, This is a way to say, where do you fix your eyes? Fixing your eyes has to go on to God. It has to go on to what he's doing in your life and who he is. Uh, So if you want to get into this abandonment tradition, learn what it is to fix your eyes on God in your prayer life. Um, But also, finally, here, um, uh, uh, prayers of abandonment means that this leads us... um, to a way which doesn't, uh, what's the word? I've lost the word. Not into into retribution. Like we we learn not to lash out at those who are lashing out against us. This is an ultimate test of a prayer of abandonment. Uh, Rather than gut reacting to someone who's thrown something at you, literally or metaphorically, we learn to give that over to God. We don't, we don't retribute. That's not a word. What's the word? We don't retaliate. retaliate. That's the word. Thank you. Thanks for that. We don't retaliate. Um, this is a beautiful prayer. Instead of retaliating, we say, Jesus, the, let the trap that they set for me, let them fall into it themselves. David prays that across the psalm tradition. And that's how we say, let them fall into the trap they set for me. And we give over justice into the hands of God. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by in safety. If you want to know if you've realized abandonment in your life to God and are praying these prayers of abandonment, ultimately you will will learn how to ask God to help people who are tricking you to be tricked by their own tricks. It's a wonderful way of being. I've, I've entered into that sort of mindset many years ago and it, it ironed out so much of my anxiety. <laughs> I don't have to spend my life's energy protecting myself from people who want to harm me. I can just trust that God's going to have them fall into the trap they set for me. Uh, that kingdom come, that will be done. So finally here, take all that is broken and lift into the healing light of Jesus. This is, this is where we sit down in our prayer life and we say, everything that's not yet God's kingdom, anything that's not his will in life, we lift it up. And this can be many things in our life which, is, which are not yet realized, which are still dissonant. Um, this is the type of prayer where we say, God, list my tears upon your scroll. David also says, I flood my bed with tears, God, in another psalm. This is where we truly list our tears. Sometimes in my prayer life, I just start out by listing off all the things I'm anxious about, all the things which are uh, deeply dissonant in my life. It's a, it's a great practice. Uh, be professional lamenters, respectful demanders of God. Do you hear me? Are you gone? Are you ever going to show up? Is a great beginning to an abandonment prayer. List all the things that are bigger than you and you cannot fix. Put them all down, put them on your scroll. It's a great practice because then we look at them and we say, God, I abandon my complex problems into your hands, which are healed by time. Ecologists among us will know um, that humans can really destroy creation. We can really get our our claws into creation and really mess things up. Uh, But the way nature works is that when we let go or abandon that part of, eco- part of creation. Slowly over time, it restores itself. Creation, nature, the way the world works, time is a great restorer of things. doesn't always work. But if we are people who are my will be done kind of people, if anxiety divides our hearts, we will take our situations and we will mess with them enough to where they will ultimately uh, just be marred beyond belief. But if we are abandonment kind of people, we know how to take our hands off the things that we shouldn't be messing with, give them over to God, and in time, things will heal and grow as they should be. It's a great promise of creation uh, before us. So we abandon our complex problems to God and that which is healed in time. I love this. It's supposed to be kind of a blurry picture. Uh, this is the Kidron Valley. And I'm not sure why Jesus chose to pray here on the night that he was betrayed. Why in the, on the Mount of Olives did he descend into the Garden of Gethsemane? Uh, the New Testament tells us that Jesus went here often with his disciples to pray. I'm not sure, sure why it happened here, but this is the garden in which he prays his great prayer. Jesus said, God, I don't, I don't want to go to death tomorrow, but not my will. Your will be done. It's his great prayer of abandonment right before. He's going he's to take it to the end. He's going to see how far he can abandon himself to God and God will still have him. And God will still protect him. And the things will work out right in the end. Perhaps he was thinking of his ancestor David who at one time came through as he was leaving Jerusalem, fleeing from Absalom, came through the very spot here Where he was praying, not my will. Maybe he was thinking about his ancestor David's example of taking his hands off the rain, leaving the kingdom, letting people throw stones at him, and leaving it into the hands of God. Uh, Whatever the case, Jesus chooses this garden to cry tears on the scroll of God's earth. Um, Prayers that eventually, three days later, were answered as he rose up out of the grave, proving to him and his followers that God, God has got, got, got them, that he's not going to leave them, that he's going to protect them. Uh, so as we think about what it means to pray prayers of abandonment, we remember David, we remember Jesus, and we ask ourselves, how can we enter into that place of peace? How can we move from a life that is filled with anxiety to a life of peace. And one of the best ways to do that is to come up into the table that he asks us to come to every time we gather together. This may be a great time for you to record some of your tears in your heart or on a piece of paper or whatever and bring it to God and say, I want to move from a divided heart filled with anxiety into a heart of peace, which is the ultimate destination of the prayer of abandonment. So you might come and you might be listing your, your tears on his scroll here. You might come today and you might be ready to, to hand over something to him that you haven't been able to for a, an age. Uh, whatever the case, whatever God is inspiring you with today, I invite you forward to the table. Which symbolizes his willingness to go all the way, put his hands and his heart and his whole body and his whole life into the hands of God. Uh, So come forward, take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice as a symbolic way to pray today a prayer of abandonment. The table is set here, guys, and everyone's welcome.